0: So tonight we are in week four of our series more. The first week you learned that you were called to run, that you were chosen on purpose for a purpose. And in week two we learned that we were created to run. And that we saw through the story of God and God's great story chasing you down throughout history. Through the building, the destroying of kingdoms and the winning of wars, all of that to get to you. And also we learned about our little speck of existence here and that ultimately we all have a part to play in this greater story that he's working out. And I left you all with a challenge. The challenge that if you truly believe that God is real and that he is who he says he is and that you are who he says that you are, then our days should look radically different, right? That we should live with an intentionality And we have a responsibility even to bring along our fears and our doubts. And then last week, you learned that as sons and daughters, that we all have gifts. Threads of gifts and talents that God has given to each and every one of you to enable and equip and empower you to go out and dream those God-sized dreams. Despite your fears and despite your doubts, and to live out the callings that he has placed in each and every single one of your hearts. So, I am not good at gardening. I don't have a green thumb. Does anybody else here garden, like to grow stuff? So I really suck at it. I can't even tell you probably like how much money I have spent on either seeds or plants or growing anything, herbs. I've tried it all, but I kill everything. Um, So actually, does anybody know like the Tamagotchi era? (laughs) Like I couldn't even keep one of those alive and I think they actually came back trending a couple years ago. That was not my thing, so it totally surprises me how I was able to keep alive, well, so far, an almost five-year-old. So I think that I should get an amen for keeping alive a human for almost five years. I'm like, yes, God is real, and God's grace is really thick for me, so. I kill everything. I have actually considered buying a whole bunch of fake plants to put on my back patio just so like, girls, we like to be surrounded by pretty things, right? So I can sit out there and bask in the prettiness and not have to waste money on stuff that's going to die very soon. I think my longest amount of time that I ever kept something alive was probably like one month. Um, My sister actually told me that there was someone in her last neighborhood that she lived in in Texas that everyone was wondering why the ladies front gardens had such vibrant flowers all the time. And she actually planted and had pots of fake flowers in her garden, had actually (laughs) taken fake flowers and put them into the ground. I'm like, this is brilliant. Why haven't I thought of this before? So I actually decided, though, to research gardening, Okay, So like, Gardening for Dummies 101. And I found that it's not so simple as just taking a seed or a plant and putting it in a pot and putting some dirt in and some water and then the sun and done because it seems like it should be that easy, right? But I guess it's a little bit more complicated and actually the most important part of gardening or growing something is the soil. The soil is the most important part and I actually learned that the best soil to not only promote growth but also to produce a plentiful Harvest comes from compost. Compost. Anyone in here know what composting is? Have you ever seen it done by anybody that you know or maybe used to love? But it's gross, okay? So just stay with me here. Matthew 13, Jesus spoke to the crowd here in a parable, okay? And he said, A farmer went out to plant some seeds, and he scattered them across his field. Some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still, other seeds fell on fertile soil. Good soil. And they produced a crop that was 60 30, 60, and 100 times more than what had actually been planted. So back to composting. It's gross. People that I've known have done it have actually kept uh, like a bin in their kitchen on the counter and put all their scraps into it. And either at the end of the day or at the end of the week, they take it out to a pile in the garden that has dirt in it and other compost that they put in it and they till it and work it out and put more mess in it, more trash, more waste, you know, till it, work it out. And it's compost pile is what a mix of all of this stuff is, okay? So dirt and trash. So instead of throwing this stuff out, your scraps, trash, what other people would say is useless, they keep it because composting is actually the natural recycling process. Taking that which would be otherwise thrown away to create the richest and most fertile soil. And it's actually called black gold by people that use it and farmers. Fun fact. So this week is actually my favorite week. And I didn't tell um, the other campus this last night. But tonight, as bittersweet as it is, we're talking about our threads of suffering. But what makes me the most excited about this is I have to say that this is probably the most important part of the entire series upon which everything else is built. See, what I believe that the Lord wants you to get down deep on the inside of you, what he wants you to truly understand and believe is that we do not dig up our past for unjust cause. That we dig up our past because it is some of the most fertile soil that God wants to use in your life, if we allow it, if we allow it. See, to suffer actually means, the verb to suffer, to handicap or to wound or to bear the weight of. And I don't think it's any coincidence that there's two kind of conflicting definitions because suffering will do one of two things. It will crush you or it can change you. It will crush you, or it will change you, but ultimately, we get to decide what suffering does in our life. But suffering will be costly. Suffering is costly, right? Because it requires a death. For some, it might be a death of our ideals, or an ideal, a death of our expectations. And for a lot of us, it might even be the death of our own right to avenge what was lost or stolen. Or broken. But I believe that through suffering that we will better know the heart of Jesus. Through your suffering, you will better know the heart of Jesus. We see in John chapter 12, Jesus is talking to his disciples, once again speaking in parables like he normally did, but he's actually foreshadowing His death to come in just a few days. He says, Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels. A plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. But those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. But now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? Have you been there? But this is the very reason that I came. So Father, bring glory to your name. Part of me takes comfort in the fact in knowing that Jesus struggled. And knowing that amidst his suffering, Jesus actually says that he was deeply troubled. But he set us an example still. Of what it looks like to surrender our pain in the midst of our sufferings. Knowing and trusting that God wins. And I know a lot of you, I might be losing here because you think that, okay, Chrissy, yes, that sounds great. And yes, we should look to Jesus as our example and and all of that. But he was part God. Like surely it was more easy for him to surrender because he knew. He knew what was to come. So stay with me. Later here in Philippians 3, 8 through 10, Paul, just an ordinary dude, we see him here in the span of God's story. So this was after Jesus. He's writing home to fellow Christians while imprisoned. And side note, Paul probably throughout the Bible was the most verbally grateful man in all of the Bible. And what's crazy is that he probably is the man that we know of in the Bible who suffered the most from his own choices as well, because B.C. Paul, before Christian Paul, he actually slaughtered tons of Christians. So he was living with the choices of his own decisions as well. But then also he did suffer at the hand of many other people. Five times we know he was beaten 40 times minus one, which in that day was intentionally meant to bring you within an inch of your life purely for the sake of torture. Three times he was jumped, And beaten with rods, he was stoned. And we know that there is this thing in Paul's life, which he calls a thorn in his flesh, that no one else knew what it was, he knew, but it was that thing that was just always following him around. That thing that he just couldn't shake. That thing that he didn't know if he would ever have victory over in his life. But still he writes here, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, waste, compost, so that I could gain Christ and produce fruit and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness. See, Paul knew that he couldn't clean himself up enough, that he couldn't be perfect enough. Rather, he became righteous through faith in Christ, trusting him as he surrendered all of the mess. All of the yuck that he was carrying. For God's way of making us right with himself is through our faith and trust. He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him. Sharing in his death. So that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection of the dead. Going on, we know throughout the Bible that Paul reproduced, God reproduced Either what was lost or stolen, his own choices, or what happened to him because of the choices of others. And he birthed great things, multiplied. There was abundance in Paul's life through his surrender. See, what looks like on this side of heaven, like finality and death and hopelessness in our lives, when it looks like all else is lost, God uses the yuck to be the birthplaces, of new life. For Jesus, that dark Friday would come what we come to know as a good, good Friday. Because through his faith and sacrifice, Jesus knew that his breaking, that his death would not be the end, but the beginning. And when we thought that shame and despair and pride would have the last word, God gave Jesus the last word. And what did he say? It is finished. And three days later, he rose from the dead, and we know that. And God would go on to release and reproduce through his life, his spirit, throughout the earth in each of us today. See, I believe that Jesus sacrificed willingly because he knew the beauty that would come from the ashes. See, fires will be lit in our lives, but ultimately we get to choose if they will shine light or if they will cause destruction. Fires will be lit, but we get to decide which purpose they serve. And I believe that through suffering, we are made stronger. Through suffering, you will be made stronger. In Romans 5, we see Paul again write, We can rejoice, and in the book of James, he says we can consider an opportunity for great joy when we suffer. Sounds crazy, right? Right? For we know that they help us develop endurance. And James James even says, so let it grow. Don't try to wish suffering away. Don't try to get out of things prematurely, taking things into your own hands. And Paul says, endurance develops strength of character. Character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us his Holy Spirit. See, his spirit enables us to go on. His spirit strengthens us through suffering so that we can grow and go on to produce fruit, becoming stronger. I believe that Paul had to have believed in this arrow, in this arrow. Everything that he had suffered, he had to believe that God was working it out even when he couldn't see what was going on. Some of us today, I believe that we can look back. I know I can, standing here today and say, "Wow." Like, if those people that I used to hang out with could see me now, if those people that I used to go to work with or that I used to go to school with could hear what's coming out of my mouth today, they would say, wow, sometimes I think we need to stop and pause for a moment and say, thank God that we're not yet where we want to be, but we are not where we used to be, right? Sometimes so much we're so overwhelmed with all the suffering in our lives or we're just so used to always putting up a fight all the time that we don't actually stop and rest and thank God and praise him that we are not where we used to be. And in that time, in that yesterday, when you did not know what he was doing or why he was allowing what he was allowing or not allowing, now maybe you are able just to start and see you know what I have become someone who is so much more understanding I have become someone who is a lot less judging I have become someone who is able to forgive when I used to be known as the person who could hold a grudge I am the person who I used to pop off or spit off or have to have the last word but now I can sit and wait and trust in the world in the Lord and not have to have the final say all the time thank God I am not where I used to be, and he has gotten me through to today. And I know that I can step into tomorrow because he carried me through yesterday. And today you are able to wait on him. Wait on him to supply your needs that you used to run into yesterday and chase after, thinking that you know what you wanted, but time and time again it left you more empty and more hopeless. That's worth shouting about, y'all. <laughs> but I don't make light today of what some of you have been through. I know in this room tonight that there are probably unspeakable sufferings that have been experienced. And I don't mean to make any of this sound easy, because it's not. It's not easy at all. Even Jesus wished and he prayed out to God, God, if there be any other way, please, please. Take this cup for me. And I think some of us in here have said, God, I don't want this to be part of my story. I don't want to be known as the guy who, as the girl who. I don't want this to be part of my identity or who I am. It was never God's plan, though, to deliver us through. I'm sorry, deliver us from, but it was always his promise to deliver us through. And I can say that he was always there a step of the way. And I know when you're going through these things, it's really hard to sometimes feel or see that he's with you. But I think for those of you who have experienced great suffering, that you know he was able to carry you through. And I know at times when you have yelled out and said, God, save me now. He says, it is I who is going to sustain you now. And when you feel like you are neck deep, And buried under, he says that it is not over. God's very character is to bring beauty from the ashes. See, I believe if Paul was here today, that he would tell us that sometimes we have to thank God for the seemingly good and the seemingly bad because sometimes we're just not always going to know the difference. That on this side of heaven, we're not always going to be able to see how God is working out all of our stories and what he is doing. But what we do know is that when we are crushed, when we do suffer, that it causes us to live differently, right? And I believe that through our suffering that we start to hurt for heaven a little more. Because when everything is going right, do we really hurt for heaven? In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but we are never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, we continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in us. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small, and they won't last long. Yet they will produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our eyes on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. So what is your greatest fear? And what happens when that fear comes true? I believe for a lot of us in here that our greatest fear is probably losing someone that we love, losing a spouse, losing a child. I know that's definitely my greatest fear, losing them too soon. But I think if you talk to anybody who's lost someone, that they always say it's too soon. And if you were here a couple of months ago, you heard that Hal share that we have a close family friend who was expecting for her first time. But she wasn't expecting the baby to be able to be carried out through the whole pregnancy or be born alive but still there was something in her despite what doctors said despite what her husband said to abort because it could be harmful to her and the likelihood of the baby born just wasn't there but there was something inside of her that said trust me in the midst of your suffering and just press on. So JT was born in September. He is now five months old and everything that the doctor said would happen when he was born None of those things happened. All of the issues that they said that he would have, he didn't have. And through the last five months, there have been some major medical issues that have come up. He has zero immune system. He is fed through a feeding tube. And next month, he will actually have full open heart surgery and be put on bypass. But she and her husband, and her husband who is not yet a Christian, have had five months with their son who they never thought that they would even get to know. That they didn't even think would be fully developed when he was born. And they were able to name him and know him. And they didn't think any of that would ever happen. And as hundreds have stood by and watched this little miracle unfold, they've also watched the glory of God on display. And we don't yet know how this story is going to end. We don't know what's going to happen with the surgery in March. But her hope amidst great suffering is that one day, a thousand years from now, she'll be able to see her son again with a fully healed heart running and playing She aches for heaven amidst her suffering, even seeing little miracles on display. See, we don't always get to know on this side of heaven, right, everything that God is working out in the midst of our suffering, what he is birthing out of our sufferings, because mostly, mostly what it feels like is a hundred small daily deaths. And some of you in here, you have already experienced your greatest fear. And that came at the hands of someone closest to you. Someone that you knew and loved and trusted and like Joseph, who was despised and betrayed and sold into slavery, left for dead, and possibly to face a lifetime of trauma and abuse by those who were supposed to protect him and guide him and keep him safe. One day, he stood before them. See, our suffering has a way of jarring us out of comatose living. It reminds us that this earth is not our home. And that Jesus did promise that one day he would come. And he would make everything right and new and he would wipe your every tear. But our hope, our hope as sons and daughters, God says we get to suffer different. Not that we won't suffer But God says that as sons and daughters, we get to suffer different than the rest of the world. And I believe that out of our suffering, we will leave a mark. Out of your sufferings, your life will leave a mark. After 33 years, Joseph would be able to stand in front of those who caused him the greatest pain and suffering. And in Genesis 50, he says, don't be afraid of me. Am I, God, that I can punish you? You intended to harm me. But God intended it for all good. He brought me to this position so that I could save many lives. And I know a lot of you have heard my story before. And for those of you who have not, I was adopted at a young age. I'm the oldest of four. And all of my siblings have the same dad. The enemy told me from a young age that I didn't fit in, that I would never be enough, that something was wrong with me and that surely I was a mistake. I was sexually abused five times before the age of 18. The enemy told me from a young age that I was dirty and broken and that I could go on to use sex to control men because never again would I be controlled by men. And being the poster child, for daddy issues, my mom having four husbands, the enemy told me that men were not anyone to be trusted, that men leave, and that I was surely not worth loving and not being pursued. See, what the enemy meant for evil, God has restored and redeemed and multiplied in such a short time. The lies that the enemy planted in my heart over the course of 28 years the sufferings experienced by my own choices and also the choices of others God has used the ugliest and messiest waste of my life so that I can speak life to others who believe the same lies some of you know a couple of years ago he led me to start a prison ministry within our church to women who are incarcerated Many women sitting in there, hopeless, feeling unworthy, believing the same lies that I believed, and more than likely have been abused in the same way that I had been. He has led me to share my story of abuse of countless men and women who have taken next steps of freedom. And he continues to grow a passion in me for the marginalized and the oppressed. And the vulnerable, those who society has, they think, forgotten. People who think that their life holds no purpose and that they have to just live out what the generations before handed them. See, out of your pain, you will see the pain of others. And out of your pain, you will begin to crave the freedom of others. See, we see from the story of Joseph that our small speck of existence here, we will have many highs and we will have many lows. And in those lows, the enemy will come in and he will try to whisper to you lies and doubts. Doubts for you to get to believe that God is not good, that he is not who he says he is, and that you are not who he says that you are. And see, once we become Christ followers, the enemy's number one, hear me, number one purpose is to distract you from your purpose. His number one purpose is to distract you from your your purpose, for you to get so caught up and twisted up by the threads of your own suffering that you end up benching yourself from the race marked out for you from all of your fears and all of your doubts, you not thinking that you're worthy enough or that God can never birth anything out of what hurts so much, if he can get you to sit down, you have to realize that your sufferings are about so much more than just your life. Ultimately, you sitting down, you are sitting down for those that God wants to place in your life, but you are also sitting down for the generations to follow you. Your freedom is also about your children's freedom. And their children's freedom. Your past, someone needs to hear this tonight, your past was never a threat to the enemy but your purpose is. Your past is not a threat to the enemy because he knows who God says that you are and he knows who he has created you to be and he knows that the sufferings experienced in your life Carry a hell-shaking message of hope and healing and salvation and freedom. Your sufferings hold the keys to other people's freedom. So my question to you tonight is who needs you? Who needs to hear the truth over the lies that you once believed? Who needs to get from you what you always longed for? the needs that were never met in your life, who can you go and be that need to? These will be the places that you go out and minister to a lost and broken and hopeless world. Let's pray. Dear God, I just thank you for this moment, this small moment in our lives, but God, ultimately in your story— God, I pray tonight for those who are just holding on so desperately to their threads of suffering in their life, who see it as just a big mess and waste on the floor. God, I pray that they would just take that next step of surrender and trust and handing it all over, saying, I do not know what you could possibly do, God, with all of this, but I trust you and I give it to you. And God, anything, anything you want to do, I'm here for it. And God, I pray for those who are currently walking through a season of suffering. I pray that they would remember that ultimately they are part of a greater story. And that God, you will not deliver from, but you will carry them through it. And just how you got them through yesterday, God, you will get them through today, even if they don't know how they're going to make it home tonight. God, I thank you that you are a good God. I thank you that you do bring beauty from the ashes and what the enemy meant for our destruction. God, we win. With you, we win. We thank you for that promise, and we cling to that promise. In Jesus' name, amen.